Number one, no more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children yikes (laughs) that's a tough quote to have these days oh that was joe (laughs) biden in 2020 uh boy i think he probably wants that one back what do you think smug it's it's pretty amazing um but here's the thing is so i'm torn of course that's terrible right and of course the biden administration is is who is responsible for these prices that we're seeing at the pump however the reason he can get away with these kind of shenanigans is because you have the press who have already begun pushing this this nonsense that like, oh, you're paying higher prices because of Putin. Like the White House puts out, this is straight up misinformation. It is. That Putin is responsible for why everything is expensive for Americans. It's straight up misinformation. The media's already started running with it. It's <laughs> like, well, We're going to get deeply into this and we've got the receipts today. We're going to pick up where we left off on Tuesday on that. Uh, We've got an exciting show beyond it. We've got a special guest, Matt Boyle. He's the Washington Bureau Chief of Breitbart News, and uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy that. And you know what? Like Personally, I've just been gearing up for hack madness. That's right. I I could not be more excited um, for folks who who don't follow. For a couple years now, I have had uh, on Twitter is where the voting occurs. What's called hack madness. It's like March Madness. Except we have 65 media figures, and people on Twitter vote for, you know, it's, it's a tournament, head-to-head. You know, it goes from 64 <laughs> to 32, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four. Uh, you have these media figures go head-to-head over who is the biggest hack in the media. And uh, last year, Jen Rubin was the reigning champion. We'll see how this year goes. I mean, the competition is going to be stiff because Very there stiff. have been a lot of media hacks over the past year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I honestly, it feels like some of them are going for the title. Like, it, like they're like, there's no way I didn't deserve the crown last year. I have to put in work, and they certainly have. You know, Smug, it's really become a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> you started something that was very smart, and it caught on uh, like wildfire. Last year was the first year we did a selection show full of pageantry yeah. and production. And we're going to top it this year. I think folks are going to be very, very happy with what we have in store. I think people are going to enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I think last year we topped like a million votes. Like it was, right. it was insane. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah, yeah. And the show and the pageantry is going to be great. You can look for that next week. I think we're. I think Tuesday is going to be the day uh, that we put that out. And I, in what format? Uh, we will we will tell you as we get closer. But I think you're going to really like it. <laughs> it's going to be a good one. Speaking of things that we like. How about some five-star reviews? How about some five-star? Smug, you want to read the first one? Absolutely. This is called The Dispatch. This is from Chris MS. These guys are trampling on the good name of the Bulwark and The Dispatch, two (laughs) treasured conservative institutions. (laughs) These guys are funny, offer great interviews and informative political insights. Duncan for SCOTUS, Smug for Fed Chair, Holmes for Chief of Staff, Ashbrook for FCC, and Han for PS. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I noticed you removed one of the five-stars. That we were going to read uh, here. Did I? Yeah, I think I you notice. did. I think you did. It may have had something negative to say about you. <laughs> there's, like a, there's a good one from the Wind family. 
Can we get that one? <laughs> Listen to you. Listen to this. We've got real time like nanny state stuff going on here. Censoring as Nothing we go. Nothing critical of me will ever be said here. <laughs> God, so good. Uh, cancel culture on my five star. Well, there's been cancel culture and it happened just a moment ago. So keep an eye on that. This is from the Wynn family. They say... I've been trying to write a five-star review for weeks. Each time I try, the Apple wheel turns forever and fails. I'm convinced that the lib powers are discouraging the promotion of the program, but I've finally broken through. I will not be masked for COVID, nor will I be masked to talk about the fellas. My ruthless birth was on August 3, 2021. Good timing, by the way, because that was right about the time that we got into uh, Iowa and everything else. Exactly. It's been a real hockey stick since then. Yeah. Uh, uh, just in time for the Iowa State Fair. Megan Kelly mentioned she gets her media from various sources, Ruthless being one of them. I respect her voice, so I immediately jumped on. The political candy that you provide on Tuesday and Thursday is the best part of my week. I look forward to hearing the sound of the soda cans. Oh, that's it. Yeah, we love <laughs> sodas. Yeah, they just they can't get enough of the sodas. Uh, soda pops, as you say, when you're from the uh, Midwest. Uh, which brings a casual but passionate punch to the lib brainworm ideas. Let the red red wave rain. That's right. Let's go, Brandon. Own the lips. Fantastic. Well, Smug, you knocked out one of the five stars, so I'm going to read one in its place. Go for it. Go for it. This is from JDD97, and the title is, I love Tuesdays and Thursdays now. And he writes, instantly goes to the top of my queue, fully satisfies my turkey punting and lib ownership needs. Hell yeah. P.S. Ashbrook should do the player (laughs) intros. When the Bengals return to the Super Bowl. <laughs> it is it is uncanny your self-promotion on the five stars. Thank you, JDD. <laughs> I don't even know. I feel like you make them up. <laughs> I did not make that up. Jay's a big fan. Oh, man. We, have, we got the best audience in radio. And we, also, we really I think do. that goes a long way to say about the Bengals fan base. Like, man, those are some diehard folks. Yeah, they get in. Folks. They get in. They're ride or die. Yeah, 100%. You, only, only they can go for 30 years without winning a damn thing. <laughs> yeah. Still be excited about it. <laughs> well, we got, a, we got a lot of opportunity here in the near future. And, you know, it's, it's a shame we didn't get to beat uh, Russell Wilson as a Bronco last season. But next year, maybe you guys will have a yeah, shot maybe, at winning you, a few yeah, games. Yeah, we should probably get into that. So so news broke that the Broncos, I didn't even look at the terms of the deal. Oh, it's just, you got you, because, you handed over a boatload. Yeah, because it sounded like a really ridiculous one. Uh, but the Broncos apparently gave away everything <laughs> to get Russell Wilson. And it's like. Man, of all the problems that we had, to think that, oh, this is squarely a QB issue. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> and then to, to sell, like, if you're going to give up that much, it has to be, like, something nutty. Like, I, I'd have to be, like, Kyler Murray, I would accept. You know, you can give the farm away. That guy's going to be a powerhouse for years to come. Yeah. Russell Wilson, like, come on, man. Well, I think what makes the Bengals so special is they have Joey Burrow. Yeah. Who is, I mean, that guy's you know, a killer. Yeah. yeah, it's a killer. And they have, like, $50 million in cap room. Yeah. So they're going to be able to pick up whatever they need to protect Joey. It's Burrow. basically the opposite of the Rams, where like the Rams are going to have to just dismantle that team. It was like built for one year. Mm-hmm. It's like the most expensive team. They can't afford to keep like half those folks together. But yeah, well, the clock is ticking on on Burrow and Chase. I mean, those guys are going to have huge contracts in yeah. a couple of years. Could I yeah. interest anyone in our finest Kirk Cousins? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, he, he was on my fancy team. The guy is one hundred percent reliable. He puts up stats. He puts up stats. I'm in a different place than either of you in terms of winning next year. But <laughs> my Vikings will carry on in mediocrity for the foreseeable future. I'm afraid. Um, 
All right, let's get into uh, the meat of the program, as we say. We talked about this at the opener. I think the energy discussion is really the one that's dominated Washington in large part Mm -hmm. because of what the Democrats are trying to do. You'll recall that months and months and months and months ago, the stickers started showing up on pumps, you know, showing like, I did that, the, the, the Biden, I did that yeah, thing. Yeah, I love those stickers. Yeah, well, they're just awesome. I, whoever organized that, by the way, genius yeah, stuff. Yeah, right? And it's been a nationwide effort. But anyway, so it's not like a mystery to anybody who's pumped gas over the last year that this has been an issue for quite some time. But enter the mainstream media, right? So Biden and the Dems and their allies in the media are exclusively at this point blaming Ukraine, Russia for the high gas prices, right? And you've seen the president with a, I guess it was Tuesday, did that big press conference where they were banning Russian oil. He had to try to get in front of it, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. He had, the backstory of it was that Democrats and Republicans in the House and Senate decided that they were going to ban Russian oil imports, which is like the only responsible decision. The fact that we were doing it in the first place is a total indictment on this administration's energy policy from the very beginning. But it had to be done. The Biden administration vociferously opposed this and, in fact, stopped them for a week from moving forward on it in order to get Biden out to do a press conference to unilaterally announce it before he got run over by a truck in Congress. I mean, can you imagine? It takes a week to wake this guy up. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, hold off Congress. The guy's taking a nap. We don't know when he's getting up. But even even though they put the talking points in front of him, he still can't get the answer right. Did you guys see him in front of his airplane the other day? Let me, I guess I got some audio. Let's get some audio. Can't do much right now. Russia's responsible. Can't do much right now. Russia's responsible. Right, right. Can't do much. I mean, it's it's, it's almost like a, a like a, a comic cliche of what a shitty politician would say in this circumstance. It absolutely. Is. You know what I mean? Like you backed yourself in an unforgivable corner where it's has real pain on the people that you're elected to represent, and he's like, "Now nah, Russia did it." <laughs> Amazing, right? It's it, and and I think the only reason you're secure trying to attempt this is. I mean, I, I wouldn't say either you're crazy because I think he is kind of nutty. Um, but because he knows the media is willing to go to the mat, no matter how bad it gets, no matter, I mean, because it's gotten extremely bad for this guy's administration. After Afghanistan, like, you thought there'd be some point where some journalist, some organization, Washington Post, New York Times, someone would have the integrity to be like, okay, folks, you know, we got to draw a line in the sand. This is shameful, you know. American service members have lost their jobs over what a terrible job this president is doing, but he knows they stick with him oh, they through stick thick with, and thin. They, they, they echo his message. There was an ABC tweet the other day that literally just ran with Putin's price hike. I saw it yesterday afternoon. The Biden administration starts talking about it. ABC dutifully prints it as if it's their own thing. I mean, it's just so amazing because everyone with a pulse who has filled up a car knows that this has been happening far before then. In fact, there was a New York Times article that broke two days before the invasion of Ukraine that talked about how how the Biden administration was all of a sudden pulling all of the leases on federal land. It's, it's a, there's, there, was a, there was a move that they made the day of the invasion. Our, our good, good friend of the program, Matt Whitlock, tweeted this earlier today, and, um, and I mean, it was it's a very— It, it good, was a thread where he was just dunking. He just was crushing them, and he, he flagged this story from CNBC, headline, Biden pauses new oil and gas leases amid legal battle over cost of climate change the day that they invade. 
the day that they they invade. I mean, just remember the quote that we played on top was when he was running for president, where he said, no more subsidies for the fossil fuel industry, no more drilling, including offshore, no ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. It ends. That's the stated position of this administration. That is the agenda that they pursued from day one when they shut down the Keystone Pipeline. That is the that is what they're doing when they're they're closing off federal uh, leases, and that is the position that has made us reliant on Vladimir Putin, mm-hmm. Russia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and the rest. I mean, that's the thing is I, I, I'm trying to figure out what is the ulterior motive that this guy has because it is completely illogical to to when he ran and and as he, his administration has acted to completely end American energy independence. Under the name of uh, the environment, of this is a green movement, you know, a green energy thing. Does he think that, like, Russia magically makes the oil appear? That they don't drill it? No, I mean, that the he's willing to pay a country that we, like, as, like, undermining human rights. He's willing to spend American money, but not create American jobs. What is the, like, what's the thinking behind that? Like, and how, like all the green plans come down to is... Yet again, the U.S. losing jobs, losing energy independence, and another country gaining. Whether it's his Green New Deal idea of, okay, we're just going to cover this country in solar panels that are bought from China. <laughs> and, and you know, I wonder what those factories are going to be running on making those solar panels, you know? I mean, it's, it's genuinely incredible. So the White House put out their plan to address gas prices, which, of course, the media has begun parroting oh, yeah. like, a, like a pet at this point. It's another release of oil reserves. That's the that's every time a democratic administration is in power, that's what they do, and they, they like oh this will do it, right? Like a day's worth of oil. A day's worth of oil. Congratulations. A gas tax holiday. I mean, come. On. We're talking three cents. It doesn't even work in some states. Like Nevada has a law on the books that raises state tax for the amount that the federal government reduces it. <laughs> so it doesn't even affect the state. I mean, literally, with the tri- highest it gas triggers price. a tax hike on Nevada drivers. That's unbelievable. So then then the third leg of the plan is get Iran, Venezuela, and Saudi Arabia to produce more. It's like, okay, how can we get more money into countries that are endangering us? Like, oh, seriously? This is a, a central part of this plan, folks. It's like, does ISIS run a pump? Yeah. Because they yeah. feel like, like they might be Is there be any the, way we can pay these guys? They're in a conversation at this point. Well, certainly the Taliban's figured out a working relationship with this administration. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, they're like, well, if they were in NATO, they'd be one of the best armed countries at this point. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Shit, you know, what's, what's kind of funny is that even Democrats have a hard time with questions about this subject. Hakeem Jeffries, who, you know, some people say oh, is the heir apparent to, to Pelosi. Yeah. Uh, did you guys hear his No, answer? what was his deal? Let me just play the audio and let you hear it. What has been the reaction of your colleagues to, you know, things like diplomatic outreach to countries like Venezuela and Saudi Arabia in terms of, like, increasing the global oil supply? Yeah, that issue hasn't come up. So, like, <laughs> what? when it comes to uh, gas prices, <laughs> Has it they're come like, up? oh, that hasn't really come up. What the hell? Are you, like, how, how many hours a day are Dems talking about defund the police? Can't they take ten minutes to be like, "All right, guys, so the gas prices are kind of high, right?" Hey, well, you're, a, you're you're like in House leadership, yeah, and and the government of the United States is reaching out to like very dangerous, unpredictable countries no. to try to backfill their oil shortage that they created, and never came up. Well, I mean, you saw when uh, when when the lockdowns were beginning for COVID and people were losing their jobs and you had more Americans than ever in history turning to like food pantries and, and, and help to, to, to feed their families. 
that's the same time that Pelosi gave that famous interview uh, on some late night show showing off all those like Jenny's ice cream. She has like 40 pints of this ice cream yeah. in one of That's her right. like, freezers. And a 20, $20, Th- there freezer. were two side-by-side fridges, each sure. costing 20000 yeah. I mean, this is really just like, this is how the Dems... It's how they operate. This is how they operate. They, it, they don't care about Americans or what they're going through. They're like, yeah, uh, you know, uh, a lot of American families are feeling a pinch in the wallet. Eh, not not really something we discuss, yeah. fella. You know, what they, you know what they should do? They should just They should just buy an electric car. Yeah, one of, the, one of the best tweets came from Miller Meeks. Did you see this? She mm. said that she said the average income of people in my district is fifty six thousand dollars. The average price of an electric car fifty five thousand dollars. <laughs> Incredible! <laughs> like, what are my what are they supposed <laughs> what to are do? Our, what are our options? Exactly. You no. know how we get rid of all this homelessness? Just uh, if, if they would just buy houses, then. We don't have any more homelessness. That's their approach. It's the pores, the pesky pores. You've done it again. You know, if you didn't have to worry about them. But, you know, like the thing about all of this boils down to for me is is the fact that these guys created a bunch of talking points in that press conference for Biden on Tuesday. It wasn't a press conference. He didn't answer any questions. But his statement, I guess, to the press on Tuesday, like, like, for example, he said, this year, my administration is presided over more oil pumping in the united states than the year than the last year of my predecessor right so the talking point is supposed to debunk the idea that he is not that we went from energy reliance uh only on ourselves to the international community and it's supposed to be like oh well i'm doing more it's just you know it's a different circumstance well i wonder what happened in the last year of the trump presidency yeah it's I the wonder same way why, that he created jobs right oh uh, yeah yeah it's exactly <laughs> no it's 100 percent right so you you have a global pandemic where the government shuts down, people are encouraged to entirely isolate and quarantine themselves. You have vacant downtowns across the entire United States. And you know what? It's funny. We didn't burn as much gasoline, right? It's- we didn't burn as much gasoline. And that is his talking point to say that they have, they have since they've pumped more than that, they're doing their jobs. Are you kidding me? It's unbelievable. It's so dishonest. They're they're so dishonest about energy. I mean, everybody knows they ran their entire primary, they ran their entire campaign about eliminating fossil fuels, and there's a cost to that. I mean, the vast majority of Americans, you know, they go to work, they put gas in their car, they put food on the table, go into a grocery store, and they know the truth of how— Everything has gotten incredibly expensive. They do. Everything but, has gotten incredibly expensive. So, but I, but I think, I mean, the strategy is so dumb, right? I mean, they, they really think everybody is the dumbest person in the face of the planet. I think the only thing that they're trying to do is give the dumbest people in on the face of the planet a talking point, mm-hmm. right? Your reliant progressive libs who just pick up the, the, the blue jersey no matter what. Yeah. They need something to say, right? Well, that's the thing is I don't think— Nobody uh, else buys it. I don't think the left is any longer based on any sort of ideology, Really, it's more like you described, like a team. Yeah. It's just an organization, and it's an affiliation that you belong to. And it doesn't matter where you are ideologically. All it is is, okay, here's the talking points you got to run. Push with. it. Like, uh, remember in 2012 when uh, Romney said that Russia is a geopolitical foe, and Obama was like, you're stuck in the 80s. It was the same libs who were clapping then, who are today being like, I don't understand why the United States doesn't nuke Moscow today. You know? <laughs> same people. Totally. Like, they don't believe in anything. Totally. But, you know, like, look, the Wall Street Journal had a good piece on this where, let me quote a couple of things. President Biden made the right decision Tuesday in banning Russian oil and natural gas imports. Yet at the same time, he declared full steam ahead on his green energy transition that includes an all-out assault 
on U.S. fossil fuels. The contradiction <laughs> is maddening. Banning Russian energy imports is fine as far as it goes, but it doesn't go very far. The U.S. imports only 3% of its petroleum supply and less than 1% of coal from Russia. About 70% of Russian oil currently can't find buyers because of sanctions risks. And the main reason that crude prices have gone up 100 to 130, or I should say it's not the main reason that, that crude prices have raised to $130 a barrel. So this is like absolutely from the math and logic, not possible. Like if you looked into any piece of the energy crisis that this country is now experiencing, you'll know. It has nothing to do with this situation. Yeah. Sure, it's made it a touch more uncomfortable. The the the, the point of uh, not buying oil from Russia is so we aren't you know sending aid to one side while we're financing the other. Like yeah. it was completely insane that this administration dragged its feet to get that done, and then stopped Congress from doing it, slowed Congress from doing it, so that they could get ahead of the disaster because they see it's a disaster. That's, that was the purpose, not because like it had a very material effect on oil prices. However, the fact that they're trying to obfuscate the facts and get the press to run with, oh, Putin is the reason that your prices are high at the pump, and that the press runs with it, it's just astounding. Well, have you noticed how Saki handles questions about expanding domestic production? Anytime anybody asks, like, don't you think you should do a little bit more on domestic production? Don't you think it would be a good idea to open up American oil fields a little bit more? She she just completely challenges the premise. Like, and I think that is the that's the thing that's a complete tell on their the weakness of their argument. Is yeah. because what she should do is just say, Yeah, we want all the above. We're gonna we're gonna be pushing for domestic production, but she doesn't want to say that. She will not, she absolutely will not say we want to produce more. She like she actually like questions whether we should produce more. Exactly, and that's why people pay so much for gas because well, by- because they can't. I mean, ultimately, what this boils down to, if we're being honest, is that the left's religion is environmentalism. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're being, I mean, it's a crass way to say it, but it's true. Yeah, they they believe in a higher power that is Greenpeace. Yep, and, and they fundamentally cannot question anything that is deemed by the gods of uh, the environment anything but progressive. So they, so they can't even touch it. You can't speak logically about it. You can't do... Like, I watched Mike Summers, who's the the CEO of the American Petroleum Institute, go on Fox yesterday and absolutely destroy every talking point that the Biden administration has on this, on leases. You know, they said, like, oh, you know, they're, they're only using 75% of the leases. Well, according according to him, seventy five percent is actually a historic high because you transition in and out of leases, right? It's like if you know anything about the way that it works, it know they know that they're like maxed out on what's available currently. If there was more available, there could be more to done. And what we he was saying is basically during World War II, their industry just fundamentally changed. They opened up all of the all of the leases and pushed domestic production to its absolute limit in order to fund the war effort. He's like, we're happy to do that again. Just give us the ability to do that again. And no one has talked about that. Like, it's the first time I heard that. He's like, oh, we could do that tomorrow. We could figure out how to do that. Nope. Nobody even discusses it. Isn't that something? It is. It is. And and also you think about, like you described, how, how environmentalism is the left's religion of how uh, there's a reason why the criticism isn't of China, who, who's the number one polluter 
right. on Earth by 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 a mile. Um, there's a reason Greta doesn't go out there and says, "Hey, China, you got to fix your policies," it's because the Chinese media, no one in China would give a shit. They, you know, she wouldn't get any airtime on TV. She wouldn't get flown across the Atlantic in a private jet uh, to do to do shows. Uh, That's but right. She's like, you know what, uh, America, you're you're terrible. Every station's like. Greta, can we book you? We can get you on a plane tomorrow. <laughs> we need you immediately. The problem here is 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 hilarious because the solution being offered by this administration, yes, we need to cover every square inch of this country in solar panels, and that is only accomplished by sending billions and billions of dollars to China, who will only pollute more. Like, the more money you put in, they're just going to build factories, bigger factories with bigger smokestacks, put out more CO2 emissions so that they can build the solar panels to make you know, the woke left feel good about themselves. Yeah, yet we're going to starve our people in order to try to make ends meet. Absolutely. But surely the, the smokestacks in China don't affect our atmosphere, right? <laughs> yeah. right? It's, it's, right. A, it's a different atmosphere. It's the ultimate flat earth argument. It's unbelievable. Right? Like it's they, just they, incredible. The, the cognitive Listen to science, though. Listen again, to science. That's the thing is, is the, the cognitive dissonance is the only way these people can operate is they're in a world where it's okay if the oil comes from somewhere else. You know, it's okay to buy it from Russia or from Venezuela or somewhere else, but it's not okay for Americans to have a job and provide for families and do it here domestically. Where it will be done safer and cleaner. The, the truth of the matter is our air is cleaner, our water is cleaner than it's ever been. There are more environmental safeguards on building and drilling than there have ever been. So why not just rely on what Democrats have campaigned on for the last 20 years Saying that, oh, if we put these safeguards in, if we do this, that, you know, I know you love Richard Nixon. He started the EPA. That's, you know, lots of. Hey, nobody's perfect. Oh, he's taking nobody, a shot. Nobody, at, hey, nobody's perfect. Old, old Ashbrook took a shot at your hero there, Smug. That's <laughs> <laughs> incredible. I knew it was coming eventually. No, but, but, I mean, but I, it's it a exists. good point. There are safeguards in place. Can we just drill? Can we just have have American energy? We got a lot of it. Because the one thing that Democrats are much better at than Republicans is that they actually rely on incrementalism to get their agenda done, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about what they've done to the healthcare system over the last 50 years, mm -hmm. they created an entitlement for the old people, an entitlement for young people, and then gradually every time that they have power, they increase the eligibility for both, right? That's so all of a sudden more and more and more until both sides meet and you have universal healthcare, right? Republicans, we're always like, we take the whole thing or nothing. They, they they actually gradually do this over time, and this is what they've done to the environment. They would they had as you just said campaigned for decades on all these restrictive measures that they put through the EPA to kind of shut down farms and coal plants and power plants and all these things as if that would have done the trick. Now that apparently is completely inconsequential. It's yeah they can't. I mean they they made it sound like when they when they campaign on these things they make it sound like this is the panacea. This will solve all of your problems. And turns out it next doesn't. year there's more problems. Exactly. Right. But a couple other things just to note from the Wall Street Journal, the Securities and Exchange Commission is expected to rule requiring companies and their financiers to disclose greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, this is just insanity. What this what this will really help with are the Chinese companies who are polluting. I think this will stop them from <laughs> like putting the, anything what, into the atmosphere. What the hell is the SEC having to do with any of this? I, it's just shocking. So Mr. Biden has nominated Sarah Bloom Raskin, of all people, to be the Federal Reserve's top bank supervisor. Her top priority, guess what it is, guys? Her top priority is using bank regulation to redirect capital from fossil fuels to green, green energy. Unbelievable. I mean, you guys have identified their religion as green energy. I think their religion is power. 
That's and I, right. I, I think that anything that they think they can use mm-hmm. over people as a cudgel to get more power for themselves, they use it. And and you have a lot of well-meaning people out there who are like, you know what? I like clean water. I like the environment. I like to be able to go outside. And they just say they they just take advantage of it. They totally take advantage of it. But but you know like. Here's what gets me about these people. We've talked a lot about all the contradictory, dumbass stuff. But this is where the dumb fuckery goes into a different level. They've talked exclusively about electric cars and how that solves this problem. Mm -hmm. Twice in the State of the Union, the guy mentions it and goes through all the the electric car. Well, guess what's (laughs) arguably worse for the development of an electric car then a gas car is the Russia invasion of Ukraine <laughs> because nickel prices have surged. And it, it actually, you can't make these electric cars. Nickel is a critical ingredient in the lithium ion battery that's used in most electric vehicles. And CNBC reports that Russia is the key supplier to nickel. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, God, think about this. We're now... Even take it, let's just take the Ukraine conflict out of it. Their plan to get us energy independent is to make us entirely re- reliant on the chips and the rare earth minerals that you get from China mm-hmm. and the nickel that you get from Russia. Unbelievable. Are you fucking kidding me? I, I, I love how it only took a year of, of Biden being in office that now Americans have to be concerned about like <laughs> commodities of like, listen, folks, the price of wood. I know. <laughs> Wood, metal, oil, coal. This is like we've gone right back to like pre-industrial revolution of this like they essentially want to turn the country into a serfdom and I mean they've pretty much accomplished that. It took a year of we're like, man, I would I would love to I'd love to go, but grocery prices, like f- getting food on the table is now expensive. Like things really? have gotten that bad that quick. And then, you know, I guess he wants to send money to his idol in Venezuela who's like, "Hey, you showed me how it's done." <laughs> I guess you deserve a piece of the action. <laughs> 10% for the big guy there. And th- this is the point where even you mentioned electric vehicles. Even Elon Musk is like, hey, guys, we need a little bit more uh, I mean, that oil is the, and gas. That's, that's in this telling country. you. That's telling <laughs> right? I mean, this guy, they're so bad. You're three and four, they're going to be rationing oxygen. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's, it's like. If they could, they would. <laughs> if they could, they would. <laughs> there, there was breaking news today about a digital dollar. Did you guys see this? I did see this. Did you see this, Smug? No, I actually, I actually didn't. Please so, say this. So I want to get, I want to, I want to save some of this so yeah. I get smart on it because it strikes me as a unbelievably bad idea. But basically, what they're trying to do, I think they don't say this, but I think they're trying to end run the crypto markets. Well, it seems like it. I mean, and you know, a less charitable. Uh, interpretation, I think, would be that they saw what happened in Russia when people couldn't use their uh, their iPhones to be able to get on the subway, and people in the Biden administration who are focused only on power were like, "Boy, it'd be really nice if we could turn off American phones to be able to not allow yeah, them and, to I use." I mean, I mean, currency. that that was my takeaway when when uh, there were all these stories that were very gleeful about how like, oh, you know, uh, all these payment processors have have pulled out of Russia, so. Now folks can't get on the train. And it's like, dude, do you think, you know, Igor had anything to do with this invasion when he's just trying to get to work? You know, yep. he, he probably doesn't know what's going on. He probably doesn't give a shit what's going on. He's just trying to, like, get by. 
You think he cares? But like, like lives are celebrating. Okay, well, that guy can't get on a train. That must be a win for us, right? And I think that you know, it's 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 something that absolutely would be something that they would try to use domestically. The same way that you see now, whenever they try to witch hunt conservatives, you saw when uh, uh, even even when those Canadian anyone who donated to the Canadian yeah, truck drivers. Right. That list got leaked. The media ran with it gleefully, like, hey, they were calling up the people, and they're like, so you donated $20 to these <laughs> truckers. And uh, yeah, do you have a comment for us? Because we're going to publish your name. And this happened to multiple business owners. They had to close their businesses because well, their name was published. And the, initially, this is to institute a witch hunt in place. It is. That's at what the, the media does. At, the, at that point, they're, they're, no longer, they're no longer an impartial observer of events in the country at that point they they become an enforcer they're an attack dog for the regime yeah well and we saw we had you know people on and we're talking about the truckers rally and there was evidence of of this like one woman who lived on minimum wage who sent 20 bucks because it's all she could afford and then her bank account got locked down in canada right i mean i think that's right there is something to be said about all of that but you know what Good thing for America that President Biden has restored our standing in the world and all of our allies and foes alike respect us. <laughs> Did you guys see the story about, I think this was again in the Wall Street Journal, that Biden couldn't get a call back from Saudi Arabia and the UAE? Yeah, I saw it. They mean, didn't return really, his phone call. It's really pathetic. His phone call. Think about that. A president of the United States calls the leader of Saudi Arabia and they can't get the call connected? Holy cats. We're I mean, in a things lot have really place. gotten that bad. Listen, I, Biden, when he ran for president, promised a dramatic, a dramatic shift in the level of respect for this country. And I think that what we've seen is that's one campaign promise he's actually kept. <laughs> Ooh. And I don't, oh, know if, I don't know if you saw that. That's a good one, actually. He, he connected with, like, the father of one of these guys, the 86-year-old father of one of these. Um, of, like, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed or something like that? Something like that. And, I mean, a buddy of mine pointed out today, there's no way that either of them remem- remembered anything from the conversation. This uh, is, uh, so, I mean, this WSJ article is incredible. It says, straight up, Saudi Emirati leaders declined calls with Biden, uh, Persian Gulf monarchies have signaled they won't help ease surging oil prices unless Washington supports them in Yemen and elsewhere. Like, it's really, like, the world now sees America as, as like, you know, the dog you kick around and, and tell what to do. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, you, you know, you want your treat? All right, roll over. They've made us so vulnerable. That is something else. It's That incredible. is something else. Like, I, 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 I got to go back to it, is I remember... This widely reported exchange, the New York Post uh, published it again recently, that Trump had with Putin, where uh, he said to Putin that, like, if you go into Ukraine, I'll just bomb Moscow. And Putin was like, yeah, right. And he was like, all those golden domes. Beautiful gold turrets. (laughs) Destroyed. (laughs) All the beautiful gold turrets. There is such value in that. Going back to to Nixon is he, he patented was known as madman theory. Which nowadays is basically fuck around and find out. It's widely known as <laughs> yeah, right, right. And Trump had that down pat. Yeah. And 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 I remember when uh when uh he he turned uh Soleimani into salsa, right? Yeah. Right. And all these reporters like this guy's gonna start World War Three. What did he do? Iran stopped fucking around. Everybody shut the fuck up. Because is like what happened. I mean I, I don't know if folks remember Soleimani was like this legendary figure, right? Who had been like 
you know, it was hard to even find a photograph of this guy. He was doing all his like operations, hitting U.S. troops, doing all these roadside. He was bombs. the largest sponsor of terrorism in the world. That's right, and 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 Trump just took him out and and in pieces, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, uh, as an aside, perhaps his greatest tweet. There's a, there's a, many of them, <laughs> but as soon as he gets rid of Soleimani. What he did is, uh, there wasn't a statement or anything. He the tweets flag. out this the flag, the U.S. flag. Yeah. It's like low res. Yeah. Like <laughs> U.S. flag. And I was like, that is just so awesome. I'm like so proud. <laughs> the low res flag. flag. <laughs> this country is so back. <laughs> and now we're in a place where, where, the, where the U.S. president can't get a call back. It's truly remarkable. I mean, it's, that's it did not take long. It did not take long. It's truly remarkable. I, I just wanted to give a, another piece of the Ukraine-Russia conflict. There's been a lot of talk about the United States working with Poland mm-hmm. uh, to get MiGs to enforce a no-fly zone or sell MiGs to Ukraine. It's convoluted process, right? And I can't really figure out what's what's up from down. But friend of the program... Uh, Jack Posobiec, mm-hmm. uh, who we had on months ago, flagged this very important piece. He, he tweets, well, look at Blinken's whole deploy the Polish MiGs narrative. It seems incredibly similar to a West Wing episode where the U.S. tried to threaten <laughs> China by offering to sell Taiwan uh, AEGIS destroyers. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, he nailed it. I mean, that's a hundred percent it. The scariest damn thing is, I think that they actually believe that they are West Winging. Like, oh, I, I think a hundred percent they believe they're West Winging. One hundred. Every day they show up to work and they're like, "Oh yes." But they watch. They watch it like NFL players watch game film. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's switch topics because I've got impar- important bear news. Always my favorite kind. Let's hear it. There, well, there's a job opening, and it's a grizzly bear conflict manager. This is according That's to the Guardian. That's not what I'm taking. <laughs> yeah. For a salary between 79000 and 103000 the U.S. government is offering one lucky applicant the chance to spend time in Montana wilderness dealing with the discord within the world of grizzly bears. The job, listed by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, involves managing a team of two to four with tasks including trapping, chemical immobilization, monitoring, conflict pre- uh, prevention, and relocation efforts. Uh, the role can be based 100 miles of Missoula, Bozeman, or this other place in Montana. I mean, and, granted, it's part of, like, some of the most beautiful country in the United States, so that's an upside. No, like, it's an upside for sure. What's <laughs> unclear to me is what has given rise to the conflict management, but I think we know what's up. So, so I, number one, I'm gonna again blame Joe Biden for this. That things have gotten so bad for Americans, it's like the Hunger Games. <laughs> We're like, if you want to be able to afford groceries and gas, they're gonna be like, all right, let's see you fight some bears. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they know what's up. I think this is sort of an an end around to try to get at Hank. Ooh, yeah. They're closing right? in. It's a pincher move. Walls are closing in. They're yeah. trying to Walls take... Walls are closing in on Hank. Because everybody knows that Hank's Hank's first line defense, like the Kud's forces of Hank's uh, operation are the Grizzlies. Yeah. So so Hank, fo- folks not familiar somehow with the, with the saga of Hank the Tank is he's essentially a bear. The biggest probably bear. like... His head is the normal size of a bear, but the rest of his body is about like seven to ten times. He's the normal bear, <laughs> and 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 they tried pinning all these crimes on him, but then they collected DNA evidence from the crime scenes, 
and there were like a number of different bears. So he's he basically the, the like bear kingpin. He beat the, country, the rap, right? Teflon he, Hank, they yeah, call him. Like you know, you can't get him on the phone telling him <laughs> to push the button. But he's the guy who tells the bears to, you know, when he tells them to push the button, they push the they button. They push the button. That's exactly right. So now they're trying to take out his first line of defense. Yeah. I don't think it's going to work. Hank is a very, very, as we've found out, is a very resourceful bear. So if 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 I were to apply to this job, I mean, the pay is pretty solid. 80, yeah. 100 bands. Yeah. And you get to be in Montana. Yeah, you can hang out in Montana. Not now, if bad. you have to confront one of these bastards, you yeah. got a real I mean, well, problem. Well, that's the thing is I would I would never confront a bear. I would not actually do the job. Like <laughs> like grizzly conflict management? Like how how do you how do you put out that title for Did, a job with a straight face? Didn't see a single bear, boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another day. Yeah. Boy, I, th- like, I thought they'd it's, be it's out there. It's tough. They must only operate, you know, late night hours. You got to they, ch- they yet, yet again. You, know, you gotta check right out this, technology. this line in the job posting. Uh, directly grappling with the bear is not required, <laughs> or recurring courage. <laughs> I mean, I would never ever claim to be able to fight a bear. Like that is the one, among the dumbest animals you could try to take head on. You don't want any part of Hank no the way. Tank, I'll tell no you that way. Much. <laughs> So, uh, CNN, you all have noticed that there's been a bit of a shift over at CNN uh, now that what's-his-name is Gonzo, and the new head honcho, Chris Licht, uh, has started making some moves. I found this fascinating. This is from the Daily Beast. Mm-hmm. They uh, have already been back-channeling with key figures, including agents and reporters, and according to insiders familiar with the matter, making it known to Fox News that he's working to a ceasefire on the network's aggressive coverage of them. Remember, under that, what was the clown's name that ran the place? The uh, Zucker. Zucker. Yeah. yeah. You remember under Zucker, he basically made reliable sources, Stelter. He basically made it the PR arm of CNN, and all right. they would do is attack Fox News. Right. Anyway, this cat is apparently telling people we're not doing that shit any longer, which I think that means bad news for the potato. Well, I mean, here's, here's my thing is... Um, I, I, I think it's bullshit. I think the problem with CNN is they've lost their integrity completely. Like, I remember that I'm old enough to remember when uh, you'd turn on CNN and it's Wolf Blitzer in like a flak jacket in a war zone as like scuds and shit are flying over his yeah. head. That used to be CNN. CNN now is like you got Stelter, then you got Don Lemon, and they're just crying about how like uh, Republicans and Fox News are trying to kill democracy, which is just. Uh, beyond bullshit is just such a nebulous and crazy idea when Americans are tackling real problems right now. But their base, the the few remaining viewers that they have left, it's like uh, the you know the, the last soldiers that Japan had on those islands who didn't know the war's <laughs> over. That's the people who are watching CNN like, now. Is they're they're that out there? There's like 200 folks who watch CNN, and they are that out there. And and, and if you try telling them that like, hey folks, we want to apologize. We're, we're actually pushing a lot of bullshit. We want to try giving you real news. The, they will not have it. If they wanted real news, they wouldn't be watching CNN in the first place. I will say, credit where credit's due. There are pockets of their programming within the last few weeks that have been surprisingly They're international informative. Stuff. Well, they've, what they've done is shelve all the psychopaths temporarily. I'm with Smug and that I'm very skeptical that that holds. But they, they're trying to cover war like they did the Wolf Blitzer way. And, you know, I think that exposes... The whole problem with them and with journalism in general is when you have conflict, when you have people dying, you ha- you're forced to actually tackle 
real things, news. Yeah. You know, you'll have like Clarissa Ward talk about there. There's there's she's, a crisis going on. She's she's, she's very good among the totally. best in the business. So they actually have to cover real news. They can't just have, okay, sir. So you are a specialist on CRT, and you believe that uh, conservatives are trying to destroy democracy and and <laughs> and prevent our children from being taught. What motivates uh, these conservatives people? to want to destroy democracy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's cover these yeah. zoo animals. So, all, like, all of a sudden, they're they're forced with like, well, we can't talk our normal bullshit that actually doesn't matter. I mean, that, I think that exposes it most of all is when something actually happens. They have to shelve it. They have to shelve it. It's true. It doesn't. It doesn't actually work into their programming, which is belies the point that their programming is not news. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, anyway, you we'll know, have to watch what happens on. Can, that. can I? Can I make a suggestion? I think that there are going to be a lot of complaints about this effort to be uh, more credible and less biased at this reception, which is taking place at the Democratic retreat yes. uh, with lawmakers and reporters. Imagine the reporters griping about the new the new move at CNN. There's going to be a lot of it at this reception. Did you get? Did you guys happen to see this? I got the conference agenda. You got what's your what's your make of the conference agenda? I, I want to know about this. I want to hear about this. So we got our hands on what looks like a full agenda to the Democratic conference. This is like late breaking info. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got it. I just got it texted to me. I, I can't believe people get this show for free. And, <laughs> and, let, and let me just say, let me say at the outset, I believe this to be real. It looks real, but take it with a grain of salt because, you know. I love when it's so hot that we have to throw that in there. Well, like, shout out our lawyers. It has all appearances. But that tells you how good it is. It has that's, all the appearances of a real That's document. how you know it's real. Yeah, so I mean, we I, I made a couple of, of inquiries where I was assured it was real, so I'm I'm comfortable Ooh. enough to go forward with it. But but this is fascinating. So on Friday they're having, or it starts I guess today or yesterday, an agenda. Uh, I don't even looks like they're maybe in Pennsylvania or something. Anyway, all the House Democrats mm-hmm. go on this on this thing. They have an opening ceremony, the first breakout session. I'm not making this part up. It's called Understanding the Challenges of She Session. Wait, what, what does that even mean? What it looks... To, <laughs> the subheader is responding to the impact of the pandemic on women and families. She Session. That is the wrong take. <laughs> that's an, just wait, inflation. That's, a, like the, that's an... Is, like it's gender specific. My, if I showed this to my sister, her head would see, explode. See, my problem is I, I heard that and I was like, hey, I think that's a good topic. But they meant... S H E session. She I thought, session. I thought they meant X I, and I was like, "Yeah, uh, oh. yeah, we need a she session. It's time to break away from China." Yeah, hey, Tom God. Cotton was right. Kick Ch- him out of WTO. China, you won't be surprised to find out, is nowhere on this uh, of particular you, you know, agenda. You know what else is not on the agenda? What's that? The word gas. Oh my gosh! I'm Are just you looking serious? I, this I again. just, I just, I just did a, a search. The word gas is not. The word energy is. But you, do you guys want to know the context? Oh, please. How, how to cripple American energy <laughs> <Yeah>. industry. <laughs> Tackling the climate crisis. Oh, oh come on. Can you imagine that? Oh, come on. And do you know, do you know how, they, how, they frame up, um, how they frame up inflation? <laughs> you, got, you have to hear this. They do t- I, I looked for the word inflation. The word inflation did appear, and there is a, there is a plenary session on inflation. The subject 
telling our story. Oh my Jobs, gosh. the economy, and combating inflation. has nothing to do with helping people. has everything to do with bullshitting voters into thinking that you actually <laughs> it's like, have done folks, something how, for them. How do we trick them into exactly. thinking that we're, we're not doing an awful job? You know who one of the speakers is? Yeah. Pete Buttigieg. Pete oh, Buttigieg. Of course. Yeah, it's like how to go to Chicago to a film premiere and yeah. ignore the uh, supply chain crisis. Yeah. I'm actually looking at this right now. It looks like the CEO of Intel is there. Can you imagine a situation where the CEO of a major corporation in this country had a retreat, a planning retreat with Republicans? Oh, this, is what, this, this is why the folks who saw our State of the Union live stream, when they mentioned Intel, is like, you know, the Dems love Intel. I, I'm AMD gang. I only run AMD. This is another example. Like, I will not fund domestic terrorism. And the thing is, is that I can now understand why Democrats have such a hard time reading the room when they just pack it full of themselves. Just idiots. Like, their concerns are not like, we need to have a work group on, like, what are we doing? These prices are going up. Gas is going up. It's like, how do we tell our story? It, it, what they're actually trying to say is, okay, how do we gaslight folks? It's like, exactly come on what now. it is. It's exa- Here are the lies that we need you to memorize so that you can repeat them, and hopefully people will believe. I, people are not voters, will not believe what they're being, what they're being told. They when just, when, when they're, they're concerned, I mean, all that is saying is their concern is on appearances you guys and not the problem. Hold on, I've got more. That's exactly I got more. I'm going to tick through a couple of these. Okay. They have a plenary session called E Pluribus Unum. Unum. Uh, the path to comprehensive immigration reform. There's a there's a top. We, and we were all thinking about amnesty, right? We can't we can't. Tell think. me you're packed full of like Yale graduates without telling me you're packed full of Yale graduates. This is my favorite. They have breakout sessions. They have they have break. The first one is resolving conflicts, <laughs> improving debate, and strengthening the people's house because they're all so like weak and and. <laughs> They, ha- they can't possibly take anybody challenging their worldview. <laughs> this is my favorite. A seat at the table. I'm not, dude, I'm not making this up. The path toward racial justice and equity in the cannabis industry. <laughs> because what we're all concerned about today is making sure that you can sell weed equitably. unreal. Oh you got to be... You got to be making this up. So, I mean, look, there, this goes on and on I mean, and on. And I, I, there's, I just noticed one other thing, another plenary session. Yeah. DCCC presents. DCCC, now just for, for folks listening, mm-hmm. that is the committee that's tasked with winning House races for Democrats. DCCC presents how we win in 2022. <laughs> this is going to be the shortest session. I just I just noticed one of the speakers, a very very respected uh, journalist and uh, commentator, Amy Walter. She is she's very yeah, she's well a, respected. She's a cook, right? I just I just I just have a feeling that she's going to walk in and say, "Guys, you got a tough road, boy. Not going to work. You got a tough road. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I mean, she is a straight shooter. She I, is. I can only imagine she's going to look around at the lineup before her and after her and be like, uh, "Do I even tell these people? She's did, very, yeah, did, right. did the documents you guys have your hands on?" list any of the journalists or, or, or press agencies that are going to be invited or present at this? It doesn't have any of the, any of like the, what's the open <sighs> press events or not. Cause but, I would love for some journal during that uh, D trip, Amy Walter session to be like, Amy, 
How much has PVI shifted over the past 12 months? <laughs> so it looks like it. it <laughs> do we have so, numbers on districts? So it looks like it looks how, like. Now tell me, D-Trip guy, how do we win? <laughs> Not good, Bob. That's her answer. Not good, Bob. From 6 to 7 p.m. is the reporters and representatives off the record reception. That is, it's a Wednesday night thing. So by the time uh, folks are listening to this on Thursday morning, it will have already happened. Maybe some of the news will leak out. Oh, I doubt the news will cover it. They're all there getting their like cake well, too. They're it, all eating Jenny's ice cream. The Thanks whole the thing. Hours. The whole thing concludes with the Honorable Joseph R. Biden Jr., the President of the United States, speaking to this mess. Amazing. Honestly, I would only show up to that party if it were Hunter Biden showing up. That's the only Biden I would show up at a conference. <laughs> I mean, if, if they, I'd pay if, dollar, I'd, if, I'd, I'd play pay for that. If they had any self awareness. There, this would feel like, I mean, like a funeral. If you showed up and, and you've got the D-trip trying to explain how you're going to win this election. Like, the, number one, they're, they're clearly not watching the news. If they're having, uh, if this is their concern about racial equity and cannabis sales. <laughs> <laughs> Winning message. Like, if that's their focus, man, like this red wave I thought was going to be big. Like, this is going to be an all-timer. Oh, yeah. If they're really focused on this, oh, man. They got a thing on voter suppression, too, by the way. They can't walk oh, away with Oh, of course. It's got to be. Um, all a right. how-to guide, I'm imagining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> um, all right. So the last thing we need to cover here is, you know, we're big on space. Huge. Smug, in particular, has got a real eye on space. He knows what's what. He knows what's real space and what's fake space. I do. But there's been one issue that is... Uh, oh, my God. You're really doing this? Oh, I yeah. Just, I scroll down to 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 list of topics. <laughs> oh yeah, there's one issue that has been deliberately omitted in our space program for the last fifty years, and frankly, I think it's an outrage. Um, but Canadians are changing all of that. A research ar- article published in December, a team of Canadian academics argued that we should embrace space sexology, a new discipline of study. So I'm the like resident Puritan. I'm always like. <laughs> I read the five stars, which is like I love listening with my family. We all <laughs> gather. Resident. We we all gather around the fireplace, turn on the radio. You know, it's like when they're listening to like presidential addresses. He, so so I have like literally nothing to add on this. No, you're a cuck. You can be talked out of your I, your real I, thoughts. I, I, I am not going to make public anything I have on this subject. I value our families and thank you for those five star reviews. I want to hear what Ashbrook has to say. That is absolutely. That is the worst. <laughs> this is an important topic. I mean, I mean, what, what, what's con- the what constitutes space? So, so here's what I will. Okay, here's what my arm twisted. I am willing to add to this subject is the qualification of of real space. Uh, one of them is you know being able to float freely, <laughs> but it's only one of them because, like I've said, it's 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 <laughs> fake space because well, now- when they shot Apollo thirteen, they just had, they had this like massive jet. They had Tom Hanks and everybody in the back. And if you have a plane just go like up and down rapidly. They appeared to be floating freely. Exactly. You get that weightlessness. So it's not only weightlessness, but I think weightlessness is definitely something that could be studied in this this arena because the options are endless. You've put your finger on it, (laughs) which is the concern of the Canadians. Uh, To move forward, they say, space organizations must stop avoiding sexual topics and fully recognize the importance of love, sex, and intimate relationships in human life, the team wrote for an accompanying piece in uh, the conservation last year. We have what it takes to pave the way for an ethical and pleasurable space journey as we continue to boldly go where no 
one has gone before. I mean, there's like the Mile High Club, and there's like 20 this, Mile High Club. Yeah. Well, that's my question. Is it 20 miles? How I'm, many miles? I mean, it's got to be up there. I, honestly, because this is there, there's been so much fake news, there's been so much gaslighting on the subject, short of the moon or beyond is really where you got to start drawing the line because like you have to draw a line in the sand with all the gaslighting. Bezos is pushing fake space. It's because he's got so much money. You know, he's able to gaslight people into thinking the the little airplanes he's sending up there are actually space rockets when they're not actually getting to space, folks. But I would say we've never studied this. Yeah. Uh, what mean, would happen if we all had to go to space? We don't know if this is even possible. So I think I think you see what happens when people try to like drink milk in space. It goes all over the place. This, this is vital to the future of the population. So so uh, I'd like you to engage on the topic. Well, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. So uh, uh, along the lines of I've always recommended to folks when they ask me, what should I actually see? There's this great show for all mankind. It's on the Apple whatever their channel subscription thing is. Great show. It's basically about what would have happened if the Soviet Union had beaten America to the moon, right? And it's like the space race wouldn't have ended. And you, the, the crazy takeaway is you'd see America would continue to fight and innovate because they would have this, like, geopolitical foe. And it talks about how, what the You're going to nerd up a sex topic? I actually have found this a way This is to, unbelievable. And it actually goes into, like, all the, like, the, the nuts and bolts of, like, space travel. It's not like we will get to Mars in 10 minutes or, like, it is extreme. Everything in space is extremely you know, you, far away. So when they say that, like, you know, we have to consider the journey itself, it's like, okay, imagine, like, you know how, like, Elon Musk, everyone's like, oh, you know, we're going to. We're going to set up settlements on Mars. Do you know how long it takes to get there? And this is if you're traveling on, like, a very direct route. It takes an insane amount of time. What's a settlement if you can't carry on life there? I mean, that's the whole point, right? Well, and that's the point of these of these well-thought-through scientists. But it, it seems like on the on, in terms of nerding up this topic, Smug has taken a page from the Biden administration. Did you see their quote in the story? I, well, Did I, they really? Biden administration said... Should a future need for more in-depth study on reproductive health in space be identified, NASA would take the appropriate steps, a spokesperson told <laughs> They punted. They punted. No one think about it. They about, punted and they didn't have many ideas. I didn't and, and because of all the families who I respect so much. Those nice five-star <laughs> reviews. Listen, there's like a couple of great pieces about this. One, they got NASA to comment. Like, can you imagine this NASA spokesperson sitting there and being like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and they're like, no, you got to answer it. Honestly, they'd be like, the NASA person's like, I just don't know enough on this subject. I'm not exactly an expert. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, sex? Uh, we, none of us know anything about that. <laughs> well, listen, we're going to keep our eye on this important development because it is uh, about the future of mankind after all, and even if it makes Mug uncomfortable, uh, frankly, we're in the business of pre- preserving human life around here. So, so thanks. All right, um, you'll note that our our good friend Michael Duncan is out today. So everyone's like, "Oh wait, he is." Yeah, they just noticed. <laughs> they just <laughs> couple of shots at the old man. Couple of shots. So he's out having a good time. But I will say that's the reason we don't have King of the Hill. I'm very eager to defend myself with Steve Schmidt. Uh, so we'll have it for you next week. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing is I respect our listeners enough to show up. I guess uh, <laughs> I'd love to play King of the Hill. <laughs> but the judge and the jury is in absentia, so we will move on. Um, let's get to our interview with Matt Boyle. I want to welcome to the program an interesting guy uh, who's been around for a long time in conservative media circles, Washington Bureau Chief for Breitbart, Matt 
Boyle. Matt, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. Listen, man, you know where I want to start with this um, is you've been around to watch the proliferation of conservative media in a lot of different ways. And in some ways, you were the kind of at the a vanguard of reporting for conservative media. And, and now we've seen, you know, clearly a lot of different outlets follow a lot of the molds that, that you and your colleagues set out at Breitbart into providing, you know, the other side of the story that basically nobody has gotten since the beginning of time from the mainstream media. Uh, what's your sense of where we're at in terms of the development of conservative media, the maturation process of it? Yeah, well, look, I've been doing this for a little over a decade, about 12 years. And the uh, I remember a time when there wasn't full-blown career paths in conservative media, right? Like, so what yeah. happened is, People would start out at like a Daily Caller or a Breitbart or, a, uh, you know, a couple of other places that were out there. And then they would try to use that and get into the established media, get a job at Politico or the New York Times or BuzzFeed right. or something like that. Now there's a full blown career path because what we've done is we set out to build these institutions uh, this was kind of the vision that Andrew Breitbart left behind for us is that so our founder, he passed away 10 years ago. Um, uh, he, the way he talked about it was the way to defeat the institutional left and the establishment media, which was like his mission in life. So if you listen to any of his speeches yeah. was to, you know, to defeat these guys, but the way you do it is you have to build the institutional right. So what we've done is we've built institutions and now, uh, uh, for instance, Breitbart, which I would argue, uh, because I work here, I'm a little biased, but like, I would argue that Breitbart is, uh, arguably, if not the one of the flagship uh, conservative publications that exists on its own. And we, we, you know, there's a career path here. I mean, people can come to Breitbart and they can work here their whole lives. And, right. uh, you know, we employ uh, approximately a hundred journalists uh, around the country and around the world. And the, uh, you know, that's a, that's a career path that didn't exist before. And I think that's important. That's how you beat institutions like the New York times and the Washington post and, and CNN and MSNBC. So you want to beat these guys, which I do. And I think that Andrew did. And I think a lot of conservatives do have to be able to stand on your own. And it's not any one individual story. It's about being able to ride with the news cycle and do a better job than they do at, at explaining what's going on in the world at any given moment. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good point. I, Andrew Breitbart, I'm glad you mentioned, was an absolute legend. I knew him a little bit. Um, but just an absolute character for those listening who, who aren't familiar with his life and legacy. It clearly, you know, given the fact that, uh, I mean, what did he pass away 10, 12 years ago? Uh, 10 years ago to, uh, to this week, actually. So it was March 1st, uh, uh, 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, if anybody leaves an impact, it's the fact that 10 years later in a media landscape, you're still talking about him, right? Right, exactly. And and so, again, uh, Andrew really set out and laid out this vision for us. And what we've done is just kind of gone out and implemented it. And uh, the, the kind of the secret sauce, if you will, what Breitbart has done over the course of the several uh, past several years. So I've been at Breitbart now for just under 10 years. It'll be 10 years in December. And uh, and, and for most of that, I've run our politics coverage. Uh, so in 2015, I uh, so I started out as a reporter and then I moved into the 
political editor role and I just kind of moved into the Washington bureau chief role in the last six months or so. Uh, but the, uh, the, what we've done, the secret sauce, if you will, how we've built this institution is we, we, every year we kind of tried out major stories that we think the establishment media is ignoring. So mm-hmm. like in the aftermath of the 2012 presidential election, when Mitt Romney lost and, and uh, Republicans were kind of searching through the dark for a vision forward that, you know, there was this big push by a lot of establishment Republicans to embrace amnesty and open borders and, and, and whatnot. We, we started the exact opposite path. And by the way, I think we, I would argue we were right about that. I mean, look at the, where the Hispanic vote is now that Republicans yeah, no have yeah. completely, completely embraced Trump's vision on this, but there wasn't a Trump at the time, right? Like there was a handful of senators, uh, people like Jeff Sessions and, uh, John Bozeman comes to mind and, you know, the, the young, the guys who are now the big stars like Mike Lee and, and, uh, Rand Paul and, and, uh, and Ted Cruz were at the time, I mean, they were still all pretty new in the Senate, right? Like, so yeah, were really new. like two years forward. in. Yeah. And so, and Cruz had just gotten elected. So, I mean, people were trying to figure out what, which way to go. And look, Rubio for, I think he's learned a lot from this, but he was on the wrong side of that one back then. And, and, and I think that we, uh, we really charted out uh, a whole series of stories on this and we explored stuff that the rest of the media ignored. And the, and we've done that repeatedly since then, right? Like it's the same model over and over again, because the New York Times and the Washington Post, who I view as our competitors, I don't view the rest of the conservative media as our competitors. I view our competitors as the Washington Post, which is funded by Jeff Bezos, and the New York Times, which is funded by Carlos Slim, right? So they're funded by corrupt leftist billionaires. And uh, uh, our our competitors are these establishment media institutions, and we're we're coming straight for them. And that's what we've we charted this vision out many years ago. And we do it over and over again. And we beat them, by the way. So even with big tech trying to shut us down, um, the uh, these are numbers from Facebook's own data collection service, CrowdTangle. In the last quarter, we beat the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and HuffPost combined uh, in Facebook interactions. And, and that's even with one hand tied behind our back with Facebook trying to throttle us and big tech coming after us. So we, uh, uh, the reason why that happens, though, I would argue is we have the courage to go in and cover stories that they don't cover. So another good example of it is in the last year, uh, critical race theory. And by the way, this is something Andrew Breitbart was talking about. Go back and look at his old speeches. He was talking about critical race theory in 2012. And we've been talking about it for years. And the whole rest of the media is finally starting to catch up with us, but they're way too late. And that's the thing is that our audience, our readers are well more informed on these issues because they read Breitbart. That's fascinating. I also find it fascinating that you've, you sort of internally see your natural competitors as, as the corporate media, because I, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, we started ruthless and kind of got into the conservative media landscape and started talking more about people. I see most conservatives view it that way, right? Like it's not a zero sum game in terms of the eyes and ears and attention of conservative listeners. It's, it's almost like a rising tide lifts all boats in terms of once you on-ramp somebody into another side of the story, they're more likely to frequent every conservative media outlet out there than they are to just sort of pick one and then go back to the New York Times. Right. And that's the thing is that 
once you, uh, uh, I guess the, the term these days is red pill, but you know, <laughs> this has been happening for, for generations, right? By the way, I'm a former liberal. Andrew Breitbart's a former liberal. Clarence Thomas is a former liberal, Supreme Court justice. Donald Trump is a former liberal. Ronald Reagan is a former liberal. You hear all these stories about people that, uh, you know, grew up on the left for whatever reason, because they grew up in California or Massachusetts or New York or something. Yeah. And, and, you know, they never were exposed to conservatism. But once they go out there into the real world and they start thinking for themselves and they come to the right way of thinking, uh, the uh, you see uh, uh, you hear tons and tons of stories. I guess the, again, the term these days is red pilling people, but like, again, whatever you want to call it, uh, the, uh, this has been going on for years, but you don't hear stories about people going the other way, do right. You, right? Like it's no. only people that come our way. And so that's what we're set out to do. We cover these culture war issues. So another big one that's playing out right now is this whole issue of this gender insanity and whatnot. And what you're seeing is, I mean, we, we've done a whole series of stories. So my, my uh, colleague here at Breitbart, Emma Jo Morris, who just came over to us from the New York Post, has done a whole series of pieces the last couple months here about private schools in America, which are some of the elite of the elite people, right? Like in many of these moms who are, the, there's a group of them called undercover mothers, they're calling themselves. And they're, they're exposing the curriculum that's being taught. But we're seeing in elementary schools in states like Georgia, and these are private elementary schools. So uh, is, is you're seeing, uh, you know, uh, images of uh, the two boys having gay sex being taught to like elementary school students, like in the, this transgendered insanity. You see, I saw something for the other day, a, a real clear politics editor, I think, was tweeting out that his fifth grade student, this is in a public school, I think, was being uh, given a vocabulary lesson where several of the words were cisgender, non-binary. I mean, why does a fifth grader need to be nice. taught that stuff? Why do Democrats want to do that? And so I think that you know, as we explore these things, whether it be the education stuff, whether it be the critical race theory stuff, whether it be the issue of immigration, whether it be big tech, more and more people start questioning what they've been told, what they've been taught. And I think they're coming our way. And I think you saw that in the 2020 election. So look, the pendulum swings in different elections. Sometimes the Democrats win, sometimes the Republicans win. But if the hearts and minds are being won over, and I think there's evidence of that in the 2020 election, in the 2021 election, as far back as 2016 and even before then, uh, that, uh, you know, well, yes, the pendulum swings back and forth. But I do think that the right is starting to win wars and and again politics is downstream from culture so if we yeah. win the culture wars and we we win over hearts and minds in america then what's going to happen is eventually long term we could be headed for generational dominance as long as the republicans don't screw it up and never discount yeah. the ability of republicans <laughs> to screw up a good thing exactly so. no we figured that out multiple different ways over the years but i look i yeah. think you're right I, I think that there are a whole set of of cultural issues that the center of this country just absolutely cannot relate to, right? It's being driven largely by yeah. coastal elites and these, these progressive enclaves that, you know, they sort of extrapolate their own point of view into what ought to be done in public and private education. And it has become an absolute disaster, you know? And I, I think it is affecting a lot of politics, which I want to talk to you about next. How do you see yep. the makeup of a midterm election? Clearly the environment is heading our way for, a lot of reasons, but but a lot of the reasons that you just discussed. Um, what races are you watching? What's your predictions? Well, look, I think that one of the big 
question here is these primaries in particular. Who's yeah. going to win Republican primaries? Is President Trump's vision for the Republican Party going to succeed, or are we going to see more of the old guard of the Republican establishment win some of them? Maybe it's a 50-50 thing. Maybe it's a some win, some lose thing. The first example that we saw of this was in Texas last week. So uh, in Texas, you saw President Trump's endorsement. He endorsed 33 people. He went undefeated. So uh, there were some of his candidates that ended up in runoffs, but they were the leading candidate going into the runoffs. So like Ken Paxton, the attorney general, for instance. Mm-hmm. But uh, so we'll see how that will shake out. But for now, Trump is undefeated in the 2022 endorsement scorecard. And uh, so is this the party of Trump? I think it is. And uh, look at some of these Senate races. Who's going to win some of these primaries and whatnot? But then once the primaries are settled and that will start sorting itself out over the course of the next couple months here, the first ones are in May in Ohio and Pennsylvania and in yeah. North Carolina. And, and, and then, you know, they continue roll through June into August. But then you've got a major general election picture out there as well. And so Republicans are five seats away from a U.S. House majority. Uh, I think they are very, very likely to retake the House majority. Uh, and, and it's not just a question of will the Republicans almost a foregone conclusion, though nobody should take anything for granted. The, uh, I, I do think that it's which Republicans are in the driver's seat, right? Again, we've seen the Republicans come in so many times and they fail, right? Like really good example of this is at the beginning of the Trump administration, Republicans were shocked that Trump won. They were like, what? Like, and they didn't, you know, they've been talking for eight years about repealing and replacing Obamacare. And then they didn't have a they didn't have it together. Like, I mean, look at what happened. They blew it in that first year. Now, I'm not saying that we we should be going after Obamacare right now. I don't know if that's the right the right strategic thing. I think there's other things on immigration and energy and trade and tech that uh, Republicans should be in, in education that Republicans should really be more focused on than 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 the Obamacare thing at this point. But the 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 fact is, is that they got to have it together. Like they get one more shot at this. Like I, I can tell you because I've traveled the country and I've spent a lot of time with regular people out there. They're willing to vote for the Republicans. But if they don't do it right this time, there's going to be a major mo- moment of reckoning. coming. People are talking about making third parties. People are talking about I'll never vote again if they blow it again. So the Republicans, when they get there this time, they got to do what they said they were going to do. And they got to have a clear vision. And so, you know, there's different people out there that are talking about that. Kevin McCarthy, I did a big interview with him laying that out. Uh, He talks about his commitment to America, which Newt Gingrich says is a lot like the contract with America. We've seen Senator Rick Scott has put out a plan, uh, which is his vision, uh, a little bit different than other folks. But there's some interesting stuff in there. There's other ones out there. So just seeing how that shakes out uh, and what Republicans lay out to do. And, and, and are they going to be able to actually do it when they get there is going to be important. And that discussion is something I'm watching very closely. You know, there's a lot of senators, obviously, arguing over this Rick Scott thing. And we see different people taking different sides. And look, I don't know if the Rick Scott vision is the right vision or not or whatever, but the Republicans have to lay out clearly what they're going to do. And that's the thing is that the the base out there is it, this is not just a pendulum swings back and forth normal politics yeah. anymore. The pu- the public is very angry and they they want results. And if they yeah. don't get them, 
they're, they're, things are going to get nasty for the Republicans down the road. So they got to, and, and by the way, that's another thing. They got to be ready on oversight. This is another thing I've been talking to a lot of members about. I've, uh, I've got some forthcoming articles about this. I've talked with Daryl Issa, who was like the kind of the watchdog guy. Uh, I spent a long time with him at CPAC talking about this. And uh, with Jim Banks, who uh, um, uh, is the Republican yeah. Study Committee chair. Uh, and uh, what are they going to be doing when they get there on that front? Yeah, no, I mean, look, that's a good point. We've had a lot of conversations with those those folks about the oversight function. I, of course, the challenge, as you laid out, uh, of what you do when you're in power is bedeviled Republicans for a while. I guess the challenge of a midterm is it's sort of a two-step process, right? You still have two years of the Biden administration, and if we're being honest about it, about it, it doesn't seem to me like they're going to have an epiphany off the progressive side of the map uh, for the last two years. So it's about oversight about building that agenda as, as you laid out to hopefully get to a point in 2024 where, you know, not only do we beat Democrats, but we have a Republican majority in the House and Senate that we can actually do something with. What What's your uh, so do you think do you think in all likelihood you, you think the, the House is going to be a, a Republican led House? You think the same in the Senate? I think everybody out there is too. The Senate is a little bit more tricky because you do have a, a, a difficult map for Republicans. I do think the Republicans are going to pull it off, right? So I'm watching Georgia very closely. I've done a bunch of stuff with Herschel Walker. I'm watching Nevada very yeah. closely. Adam Laxalt looks very promising. The, the Arizona primary is still kind of developing. So we're seeing what's going to happen there and who the Republican nominee is going to be to challenge Mark Kelly. Those are probably the three best pickup opportunities for Republicans. And Republicans obviously need to gain a net one seat, right, okay. to get the, the Senate majority back. The, the, but the Republicans got to play defense in places like Pennsylvania, where there's an interesting primary playing out right now. Yeah, like David McCormick has the upper, upper hand. But Dr. Oz is trying to bank in on his celebrity. And so that's a storyline I'm following closely. Uh, North Carolina, Republicans got to play defense in. That was the state Trump won in 2020, but it was very close. Like, and so how that shakes out there, um, you know, again, tr President Trump is behind Ted Budd. And so we'll see how that shakes out. But the, the more of the establishment side seems to be behind more of the McCrory side of things. And, and then maybe Mark Walker plays the spoiler. I don't know. So we'll see how that shakes out in North Carolina. Ohio is a really interesting race. There's five candidates uh, that are uh, duking it out here. Yeah, it's a, it's a juggle that race. It seems like seems like Ohio, $10 million table stakes to get in. And then you see what happens after that. <laughs> Yeah, but again, and, and Republicans got to defend there. They got to defend uh, Iowa. They got to defend Wisconsin, right? Like, so, I mean, there's a lot of defense. Republicans got to defend down. I live in Florida now. I left D.C. I can't stand it there. Ah, good for you. But, uh, uh, yeah, so down here in Florida, Senator Rubio's got to defend uh, his seat. Uh, it, it, so there's a, a lot of defense the Republicans got to play. I mean, look, and then there's also the possibility that Republicans maybe flip a Colorado or I've heard a lot of people talking about Vermont or yeah. Washington state being possibly in play, New Hampshire being in play though. And, and by the way, this was a really interesting story. We did a big article about it the, the, the other day, Maggie Hassan, the Democrat Senator from New Hampshire just went up with $13 million <laughs> of TV ads to try to protect herself. That means she's worried, right? So but who's going to be the Republican nominee there? I know that the governor uh, uh, defected and didn't want to run. So 
Uh, so who, how's that going to shake out? That's, it's still too early to tell in a lot of those places. But can the Republicans pull it off? I think so. So yeah. um, and I, I think the edge probably goes to them. But the, the, don't take anything for granted at this stage. And anything can happen between now and November. There's a lot of uh, time. And Republicans going to defend Missouri. Right. It looks like Eric Reitens is probably going to be the Republican nominee for Senate there. Trump seems to be lining up behind him. Uh, so we'll see what happens. And uh, uh, Eric Reitens obviously has his personal history and it is what it is. But uh, and, and I do think that in a red wave year, which we are shaking out to see happen, that uh, that'll be OK and he'll be all right there. I don't think that a lot of the establishment predictions that of imminent failure, if he's the nominee, are are, are necessarily going to play out. But, I mean, we've seen uh, crazier things happen. I mean, I remember yeah. in 2017 when a Democrat won in Alabama, right? Like, totally. So the, the series is, burns of Todd Aiken, I think, also are, are a reminder to some people when it comes to Missouri, right? Sure. Sure. But, I mean, look, here's the deal. At the end of the day, when the Republican nominees are sat and these primaries are over, I, I hearken back to Andrew Breitbart and his speech in 2012. You said everybody out here in the base liked Mitt Romney. They don't. Like, I mean, Mitt Romney was just as despised by base voters then as he is now. And the, uh, but Andrew Breitbart made it very clear. He said, I don't care who the nominee is. You're either with us or you're on the other side. Yeah. Like, and so that's the thing is that when the, these primaries are set, and the Republican nominees are locked in in these different places. Whoever's candidate you were behind or whatever, so on and so forth, the fate of the nation rests on this. Yeah, totally. The difference well between said. a Republican majority and a Democrat majority in the U.S. Senate can't be clearer, right? Like the Biden agenda comes to a screeching halt if it's 51-49 Republicans. If it, it, it accelerates if it's 50-50 or uh, 51-49 Democrats, right? Like, so the, the, the fate of the nation rides on this. So everybody's got to drop the nonsense and, the, and, and focus on the big picture here. And I think that's one of the things that we're going to try to do at Breitbart over the course of this year. I've had a lot of conversations with other editors and our leadership here about it. Like, how do we uh, uh, capture this? Because look, there's going to be the some candidates that some people don't like in some places and yeah. and the, the, but the end of the day the majority rests on this yeah no god well said boy well said i mean that i think that is the the crystal clear mission you know at least in terms of once we get out of the primary that everybody sort of puts that jersey on and goes to work and i i, I think there's ample evidence to suggest that that's going to happen but but everybody does have work to do on the conservative side i got three big questions for you Boyle, uh, that yep. we end every interview with that, uh, you know, it capsule a little color into your life. So the first one is if you could plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? I would have to say probably pizza. <laughs> probably Any specific. Probably. But uh, I, I like uh, pepperoni pizza. So or if I had to say something other than pizza, I like veal parmesan. Okay, so I'm a big fan of Italian food. So there you go. Bill Parm. We'll go with Bill Parm. Bill Parm. And you can throw pizza on top of it, boy. It's your last meal. Go, go. Yeah, nuts, well, we right? can get a pepperoni pizza to go on the side, right? There you go. So. <laughs> all right. So second question, if you never got into this line of work of conservative journalism and you had all this time on your hands, what do you think you'd like, like to be doing with your life? Oh, uh, I'd be playing a lot of golf. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of go. golf. There you go. So, yeah, I, 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 yeah. And by the way, I don't do this for my health. It's not good for my health. I do it for my health. I care a lot about. 
the direction that we're going. So it's not like I enjoy it. Yeah, no, I listen, I think all of us who've been involved in one form or fashion uh, have recognized this is not excellent for our health. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I would join you on the golf course. No question about that. All right. Third question. This one's sort of interesting because it gets to what motivates you to get up and do your job. I think I'd probably know the answer before we start, but the way we lay it out is you're either motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And the thrill of victory person is like the sunny optimist charging up the hill, glass half full, you know, trying to accomplish something for themselves uh, on a day-to-day basis. The, the agony of defeat person is the person who it gets like a moment of pleasure out of a win, but a loss just sticks with them forever. Right. They wear every sort of this is, setback as a, as yeah, a this is the easiest question. Yeah. This is the <laughs> easiest question of the whole interview. It's throw a victory all the way. A hundred percent. I enjoy winning. I'm a happy warrior. Just like Andrew Breitbart, just like, uh, and, and by the way, I think that's the ethos and the mentality that we look for with people here. Throw a victory all the way. Happy warrior mentality. Like that's the thing I like to win. I'm an optimist. Uh, even in the darkest of times, I look for the silver linings. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's the, the easiest question. That's perfect. All right. Well, listen, Boyle, I can't thank you enough for joining us and giving your perspective on a range of topics today. Don't be a stranger. Let us know when something comes up and you think we ought to get it out there. We'd love to talk to you again in the future. Yeah, you, you bet. Anytime. Happy to, uh, happy to be here. And uh, Thanks for having me. You bet. Take care. So interesting guy. You know, the funny thing is, is that I found for a large portion of my career to be on the other side of many sort of political battles than him. Um, And so I thought this interview was good for a a variety of reasons, not the least of which is the fact that we're all sort of figuring out how to get on the same page at this point. And I I thought it took like a really terrific, uh, uh, just it felt good to have him say, yeah, I want to come on. I want to talk to the audience. I want to do because, you know, there has been over the years, there's been some conflict. And I think all of us feel like we're all on the same page and this country is in a horrible place. And the thing that resonated most deeply with with me is he said, you know, we're going to have a lot of big primaries out there, but all of us in the conservative media, it is incumbent upon us to set whatever problems we have aside the moment those primaries are settled and win this, because the difference between winning and losing in November is existential. Well, and, you know, I think it also shows conservative media is growing. Totally. And there is an audience out there who is hungry for uh, for facts who is hungry for information that's not exactly colored by the liberal, uh, the liberal elites and the legacy media, and um, and there are a variety of voices uh, on the conservative side who are providing facts and information, and so I think that that I mean it just continues to grow, and that's that's a great thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think we've carried on without the old man. We absolutely did. So another banger of an episode, gentlemen. Uh, and I will absolutely demand a game when we get Duncan back in here. As well you should. And hack madness, everybody. That's right, everyone. Get excited. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.